Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity to preach. Uh, it, it is a, indeed a great blessing and, and a gift uh, to hear from you. And Lord, people don't need to hear from me today. Uh, they need to hear from you. And, and I'm a messenger of, of what you have taught me this week. And I pray that I'd clear that, uh, communicate that clearly uh, today. And that many great things would happen in our midst. Things that we cannot see. Uh, and, and that you would work in us to change us, to become more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. At least I haven't killed anybody. This is a comment you hear from people who know they've done a lot of bad things in their life, but they haven't done the worst things, like killing, like taking another's life. They think, you know, I'm a pretty good person, and I wouldn't even kill a fly. And most people think they are good, And as people look over the Ten Commandments, they see the commandments, do not steal, or do not commit adultery, or do not take the Lord's name in vain, and they realize, you know what, I probably have committed those sins, but at least I haven't murdered anybody. It's no big deal that I've done some bad things. It was okay to cheat on my taxes because the federal government is corrupt. It's okay to have an affair because my spouse was not fulfilling me. It's okay to tell a white lie because nobody is hurt by it. It's okay to covet my neighbor's house because who, who wouldn't want to have a, lake, a house on the lake? In our society, people even say it's okay to worship another god because all paths lead to heaven. While people will acknowledge that many of these things are wrong that I just listed, people believe that they can be good and still commit them, as long as they don't commit the worst crimes, like murder. Because isn't hell reserved for those people, those select few people who do the worst things, like ending another person's life? It's interesting that of all the commandments, Most societies will agree that all these things are wrong, but there is no disagreement on murder. Every culture on planet Earth believes that murder is a sin, and that it is outlawed, and that if anyone takes another person's life, justice must take place. But what people fail to realize is that they are guilty of this commandment, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, because hate is the fruit of murder. And the extreme of hate is murder. That's what it leads to if you go there. Every one of us has murdered someone in our hearts. So as you read the command, you shall not murder, don't deceive yourself and think that this does not apply to you. Because it does apply to you, because every one of you and myself have hated someone in our life. At the core of the sin of murder is hatred toward those who bear the image of God. And this sermon focuses on the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And this sermon and God's word, the scriptures, are calling you to love God's 
image bearers. To love God's image bearers. And there are three ways how, from God's word, that you must love God's image bearers. The first way is by refraining from ending another's life. By refraining from ending another's life. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and there are eight different words in the Hebrew language for kill, to kill. It's interesting that Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the meaning for kill is premeditated murder. It's premeditated murder. Other words for kill describe killing in in war, in battle, taking another person's life, or a criminal being executed by a just government, or animals being killed. That's a few examples. But those are not considered murder. There's a difference. The sixth commandment is specifically addressing the unlawful killing of another human being. So what is the difference between killing in war or sentencing a criminal to the death penalty and premeditated murder? What is the difference? Well, murder is the, d- the deliberate act of taking another person's life, and that comes from the hatred from within you. While murder takes life, killing in certain situations actually preserves life. A just war, in the end, is meant to preserve life because you're defending the homeland. Ultimately, when, when, when American soldiers go out to fight, they're actually saving lives by protecting us. Or, if a criminal is sentenced to death for a horrible crime he or she committed, ultimately that people's lives are being saved because that person is kept off the street and justice is served. I remember uh, coming home from school on April 19th, 1995. I was in elementary school. This was a long time ago. And I remember hearing in the news that Timothy McVeigh set off a car bomb on a federal building in Oklahoma City. 168 people had their lives ended in a moment. And while he thought it might have been killing, we all know this was murder. And then I remember coming home from school on September 11th, 2001, and turning on the TV and and hearing about uh, the terrorist attack of Al-Qaeda flying planes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and then a plane that went into the field in Pennsylvania. Over 3,000 people were killed in the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And if you were to talk to the people who carried out that act, they would say that they, they killed and, and that they were right in doing what they did. But we all know, we can see clearly, that what they did was murder. So there's a, there's a big difference. And what makes taking a human life so bad is the fact that humans bear the image of God. This means that every person on earth is like God. Every person has God's stamp on them. To kill an image bearer is a direct insult against the creator, against the one who made them. Genesis 9-6, 
says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And if you think about it, the presence of murder in our world is clear evidence of the fall. Every time you open up a newspaper or turn on the news or go on the internet, what, what you see is that every single week, murders are taking place. And the world hasn't always been like this. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was perfection. There was no sin. And therefore, there was no murder. There was no death. Death couldn't even happen in the garden. So the presence of murder is evidence that we are living in the fall. And according to the FBI, I found a stat from 2013. In the United States, in 2013, there were 14,191 murders or homicides. And the first murder happened not long after sin came into the world. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and then in Genesis chapter 4, we see the first murder. And of course, this is well known. The first murder that ever took place was Cain killing Abel. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, time Kate, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not know what do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. This is what the Lord said to Cain. But you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. So this is the first murder in human history. And then not long after, in Cain's line, in his line, Lamech was born and Lamech murdered as well. This is what he said to his wives, Ada and Zillah. By the way, he also committed polygamy, so this was not a good guy. Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for ruining me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So he was prideful about it, and he committed murder as well. And you see the sin of murder all over the Bible. It's, it's, it's in many places. And then you also see it, of course, in human history. Human history is marked with this ugly, ugly sin. Now you may be thinking, can't we just skip this commandment? We all know that I'm not going to do this. What's the point? I'm never going to take another person's life. You may, you may be thinking that. You, may, you might be thinking, I'm not in jeopardy of doing this. And what I'm going to tell you is that, you know what, you are capable of doing something like this. We, we preach the whole counsel of God here at this church, including do not murder. What Hitler did in World War II, his efforts were the result of millions and millions of deaths. That, that is not an anomaly. Because what, what was in Hitler that led him to do such horrible crimes? 
It was his sinful nature. Hitler was a sinner just like you and me. And so don't think that there's, there's bad people and then there's good people. We all have the same problem. We all have the same problem that Cain had. And so this is why I need to address you and myself on this issue. You have that heart. You have the capability of doing worse things than you could ever imagine. Cain killed Abel because he hated his brother. Have you ever hated anyone? I know I have. Hatred was the fruit, and hatred taken to the extreme leads to murder. Anytime you feel hatred toward another person, what you must do is you must repent. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is repentance for those who hate. Now, this commandment is very short. It's actually four words. Some of the, some of the earlier commandments were, were about six sentences. This one is only four words. And you might be thinking, okay, can we stop the sermon here? We've already addressed it. Well, no, we're going to keep going here because there's a few other things we need to address because there are other ways to break this commandment besides taking the life of another person. And this is most relevant to you because I don't think that most of you will, will kill anybody. I really don't. But I'm just saying, we have that capability within us because of our sinfulness. So the first way that you must love God's image bearers is by refraining from taking another life. The second way you must love God's image bearers is by doing good to those in danger. By doing good to those in danger. Have you ever decided not to help someone when, help, when someone came to you with a need and their, their life might be at risk with, with the major need that they have. People who are hungry, they might starve. People who need clothing, they might freeze. People who need shelter, their life is in danger. People who need financial assistance are certainly in danger. People in the sex trafficking industry are, are in great danger. There's lots of situations like this in our world. And there's an account in the Gospels that addresses this, where Jesus describes a lack of love that was shown by a couple of religious leaders. And it's, it's a parable we're all familiar with. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I'm going to read it here. And I think it, it directly relates to our topic this morning. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, he said. 
the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now we see here in this parable, there are two, two religious people. These are supposed to be the good people, okay? Religious people, like, like us. You know, we're, we're, we're religious people. And they showed hatred toward this man by not stopping to help him. And what they did is they left him for dead. This man very well may have died if he was not helped by the Samaritan. And the Samaritan truly loved his neighbor by helping him. Remember, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that is what the Samaritan is doing here. He truly loved his neighbor. But the, but the religious people broke the sixth commandment by deciding to pass him by and leave him for dead. They hated him. The opposite of the sixth commandment is love. The opposite of hatred toward another person is love. I, I know that many of us, um, or probably all of us, have seen uh, homeless people on, on the side of the road. And I, I find it interesting. I, when I go to Minneapolis, I see they're holding up the signs and they say, you know, can you, can you, can you provide clothing? Can you provide money? Can you provide food? And, and it always says, God bless. And I almost feel like, okay, the Lord is putting this person here to see what we will do about it. Uh, and I've, I've had conversations with people over the years, and, and it seems like we use it as an excuse. And, and it, it's, it's, I think it's, it's troubling because we say that, well, why would I give this homeless person money? Because you know what he's going to do? He's just going to go buy drugs. He's just, he's just going to go buy alcohol. And it, you know what I say to that? I think that's a convenient excuse. And I think because you really, you really don't want to help that person. And it's pathetic. I, my dad and I, we, were, we had a race. Um, I had a race that I ran in, in late April. And, and as we were driving in, I didn't even spot the guy, but my dad spotted the guy um, who was holding up a sign. You know, and and there's, there's all these festivities going on. There's a 5K race. There's a 10K race. There's a, there's a half marathon. Everyone's having a good time. And then you know, a couple hundred feet away, there's, this, there's these, these people who are fighting for their life. They don't even know where the next meal is going to come from. Um, and I, I ended up running the race, and then after the race, uh, my dad remembered this man who had this sign up, and we, we ended up uh, going the route where we were to go buy him, and my, my dad gave him um, a certain amount of money, you know, and, and we don't, hopefully that provided for his meal um, for that day, uh, but we said to him, you know, Jesus loves you, and, and so I, uh, I was grateful that my dad um, took that initiative um, to do that, and he was loving his neighbor by doing that. And this is just one example uh, do, you know, do you feed the hungry? Do you clothe the naked? I know there's people who have needed housing and, and people in our church have provided that. I've, I've seen that. Uh, do you visit the sick? Do you visit those in prison? Uh, do you take in the poor? I mentioned sex trafficking. I, my wife has a, a great passion um, for helping women who are involved in the sex trafficking trade. And, that, and I know that Monica Topman is... is has a great um, desire to help those women as well. And you know what James 4, 17 says? This, is, this, is, this might be the most convicting verse in the Bible for me, and I think about it a lot. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. You know, we, we think of sins as, okay, when I break a rule, that's a sin. Well, in fact, if you don't do something that you're supposed to do, that is sin. And each of the people, whether it's the sick, the naked, the hungry, the poor, each of these people are endangered. 
and they need help. They need a Samaritan to come around to help, that, to help them or her. Helping those who are hurt is evidence, too, that you are, that you are a child of God. It's evidence that you are justified. I, I find it interesting that in Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about the final judgment, this is what he says. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So I think, I, think, I really do think that God is setting up people in our path and he's wondering, what are you going to do about it? You know, and you know what? If you obey, that's just evidence that you belong to God. And it's evidence that you will be among the sheep and you won't be among the goats. It'll be frightening in that day for those who are among the goats. And in our world today, we see such things as abortion and taking someone off of life support who has no saying in the matter. Do you fight for those who don't have a voice? Do you fight for the sanctity of life? And God's people should. His word instructs us to do so. Okay, so the second way you must love God's image bearers is by doing good to those in danger. The third way you must love God's image bearers is by keeping yourself from hating another. By keeping yourself from hating another. Jesus affirms the sixth commandment, but he takes it a step further, and he often does this. You know, he, he goes even further than what the Old Testament gave us and what it expected of us. Matthew 5, um, 21, this is what uh, my father read. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus equates anger with murder. It's like a process. It starts out with hate, then it turns into anger, and then it turns into murder. That's how murders happen. And the fruit leads to murder. And anger is a common problem. I don't think any of us can say, okay, this isn't something I've struggled with. I think every one of us has struggled with, with anger in our lifetime. And this one hits home. And to be angry with your brother, brother with a deep hatred in your heart is like murdering him or her in your heart. That's what John Kelvin said. He said that, Hatred of another person is murder of the heart. And 1 John 3.15 agrees with this. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, so we see that if, if, if you have murder in your heart, that's evidence that you don't belong to God. And as Jesus said here, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Uh, Revelation 21.8 describes that murderers are thrown into the lake of fire. And I don't think it's just referring to those who have killed a person. I think it's referring to those who have hatred in their heart. Hate, envy, anger, a desire for revenge, these are all murderers of the heart. And so this commandment applies to every one of you because every one of you is guilty of this. And we must take Jesus' warning seriously when he says that the consequences of anger towards someone else is the hell of fire. And then in Revelation 21.8, it says that it's the lake of fire. But whenever there is bad news, there's good news. You know, you can't have the good news without the bad news. And the bad news is, is that left to ourselves, we, we have this hatred in our heart and we are sentenced to judgment and we are worthy of that punishment. But the good news is, Jesus died for those people. And if you think about Jesus' death, it's ironic that of all the ways that God could have planned the salvation of, of the whole world, it was that he, he would be murdered. That was the means by which salvation came. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, was murdered. And through his murder, murderers could be saved. It's ironic. And when Jesus was on the cross, he said in Luke 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them. These are the people who are nailing them to the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And then after Jesus' resurrection, when the apostles were preaching to the world about the death and resurrection of Christ and, then th and that through it would come forgiveness of sins, Peter preached to those, pr prob he probably preached to the, some of the same ones who murdered Jesus. And he said, repent and believe and you will be saved. So my question to you here today is, is have you trusted in Jesus? I know, I know, that, I know that many of you have. Um, but, but I'm sure that some of you have not trusted in Jesus and that and, and you are in danger because your sins are worthy of hell, as Jesus said. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And if you have trusted in, in, in Jesus, thank him for saving you and grow in that area. Be, be sanctified. Grow in holiness. Become more like Jesus. It's, my dad and I, we were having a conversation yesterday. Uh, when I was younger, we, we brought these, these trees home uh, from school. Just, you know, little, little trees. They were probably about, about this high off the ground. And now they're about 40 feet tall. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And I, I was joking, I said that, you know, Caleb and I, when we, when we brought those trees home, we grew up together. The good news is Caleb and I stopped at six feet. The, the trees just, just, kept, just kept growing, though. I'm, I'm glad we didn't keep growing like that. But the, the reason I bring that up is because, as a Christian, you should be growing. And in this sin of hatred, are, my question to you is, are you growing in that area? Are you hating people less and loving people more? Even those people who do something bad to you. The, the sinful response when someone does something bad to you is revenge. 
And what, and what God says is, he says, Re- leave revenge to me because you know what? I'm going to punish those who are worthy of punishment. And everyone's sins will e- either be paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ or in hell. Those are the two places, nowhere else. And so find your refuge in Christ and grow and mature and grow up and grow up 40 feet high in maturity in this area of loving your neighbor. And if you have not trusted in Christ, I I urge you today, I don't want to miss an opportunity to invite you to believe in him. Take refuge in him. So this sermon is calling you to love God's image bearers. And there are three ways how. By refusing to take the life of another. By doing good to those in danger. And by keeping yourself from hating another. One of the worship songs that we sang today was Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. And in that song it says, You give and take away. And that comes from the story of Job. And, it, and what that means is that, you know what, God... He controls who lives and who dies. He's responsible for life. He's the giver of life and he's the taker of life. He owns you. And so that means that you should never take it in your hands. This is in his hands. And so today, honor him by valuing and protecting the sanctity of life and loving your neighbor and loving God's image bearers. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, that Jesus died for those who have murdered in our hearts. And, and Lord, none of us are excluded from this. None of us are. And all of us are worthy of the hell of fire, of the lake of fire. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus, that he is He's the mediator between God and man, and he paid the penalty for our sins. Um, You made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I pray, Lord, that as we think of these sins in our life, that we would turn from them, that we would trust in Christ, and that we would grow, Lord, that we would grow in this area, and that we wouldn't even recognize, we would grow so much that we wouldn't even recognize when we were that small in maturity. I pray for that today, Lord. In the name of your Son, we ask. Amen.